There's so much health advice out there, lots of different voices and opinions, but who can you trust? Trust the experts, the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them tough, intimate health questions so you get the answers you need. This is the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician. Hi, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast. My name is Kate Caput, and I'll be your host today. We're talking to sports psychologist Matthew Sacco about athletes and mental health. This year's Olympics have brought more headlines than ever about the need for athletes from the elite to the extracurricular to tend to their mental health as carefully as they tend to their physical health. Dr. Sacco is here to talk to us about the specific mental health concerns that athletes face, including what they can do about it and how the rest of us can support them. Dr. Sacco, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do here at Cleveland Clinic. What kind of work do you do and what sort of patients do you see? Yeah, so um, right now, uh, I spend about 60% of my time at the clinic working with athletes in some capacity. So I spend uh, two full days working with young people through sports medicine. And then I work a full day as a part of the NFL Retired Players Program. So it's a, it's a wide range. Um, and I spend some time in, in another center as well. And so I'm seeing uh, young people or athletes, I should say, from you know, probably middle school all the way up and beyond through, through retirement, occasionally a little bit younger than that. But that seems to be the, the catch, catchment area of folks that I'm getting. Um, and so a lot, a lot of the work that I do, especially in sports medicine, you know, really revolves around uh, a couple uh, topics. One is somebody shows up because they're trying to recover from an injury and get back you know, kind of to their sport. And then sometimes for one reason or another, they've been in front of one of our other sports uh, medicine providers or athletic trainers, and they're just sensing something's off. And, you know, it's really, uh, you know, coming and seeing the person, the sports psychologist that's attached to sports health is a lot less threatening than being told to, to go see the psychologist otherwise. So they usually come into my office and then uh, that kind of is, is a cascading event. Of, we start to work on things that they may have been dealing with for a while. So it sounds like you're the perfect guy to talk to us about this today. Uh, I'd like to start by broadly talking about sports and mental health. A 2016 study showed that elite athletes are just as prone to mental disorders like anxiety and depression as as non-athletes are. What factors might contribute to mental health concerns in athletes, specifically as it relates to their participation in sports? Yeah, I think the first thing we have to remember is, uh, and it sounds kind of cliche, but it is, I mean, athletes are people. So they're going to experience uh, very similar sets of, of mental health concerns as the general population would to begin with. Then you add these other layers, uh, you, you know, some of those come from the culture of athletics itself. So they're, you know, be they uh, sexuality or gender issues or hazing or bullying, things that come from that environment uh, that traditionally has kind of um, been viewed as more of a, of a hyper-masculine kind of environment as a whole in athletics. And that those factors uh, certainly can play a role. But then, you know, there really are uh, individual factors. So there are personality factors. You know, we often hear of athletes who have kind of that perfectionistic mindset, and that can really serve people very well. Um, you know, they're uh, 
more driven. They may be, you know, more likely to look for ways to improve their performances. Um, uh, unfortunately, without a, a softer side to that, you know, um, you get people that are never satisfied. You get people that might, you know, actually just keep driving themselves to the point of, you know, sleep problems or, uh, you know, a whole host of other things that can come in, uh, you know, overtraining uh, other anxieties and stressors, all of that that might be exacerbated because of some of those personality factors. Um, when, you know, the, the flip side, you know, like I said, there are, there are real benefits to those personality characteristics, that higher sensation seeking, that, you know, sometimes um, less uh, hastiness, uh, less and, and anger that can come from people being associated with, with higher levels of, of athletics. So uh, it, it's a mixed bag, but you know, as you work your way up the level of competition, I think that what we're talking about is just kind of turning the heat up on some of these factors and it can become a little bit more pronounced um, depending on, on, on the person. So it sounds like in some ways, the things that make people great athletes are also the things that sort of in, uh, you know, overdose can, can contribute to mental health concerns. Yeah, absolutely right. And then they're constantly fighting that, uh, that idea that there's a toughness associated with being an athlete. And then with that, uh, it's then the stigma of, of getting help because if you're tough, then you should be able to just do it yourself and have to get help. And that, that kind of creates a, a bigger problem. And in large part, I think we're, uh, what we're seeing kind of explode right now on, on uh, in the media. So let's talk about uh, getting help. When we see an athlete get injured physically, whether it's a pulled muscle or a broken wrist or, you know, whatever it might be, we understand that they need to take time to recover physically, to heal their bodies. Why then is it so difficult for people to accept that, uh, you know, that an athlete may also need to take care of their mental health, even if that means stepping back from the sport? Where is that disconnect for for athletes and for those of us who are um, sports fans and viewers? Yeah, I think that the, the vast majority of the problem uh, lies with the fact that you just can't see it. So, uh, you know, not that we need to specifically see the, the, the x-rays or whatever as people from the outside, but we just believe that, you know, if somebody has been diagnosed, you know, they tore their ACL or they broke their leg, um, it, it's visible. And we can take an x-ray, we can look at it, and it can be fixed. And uh, there's a timeline on that usually. You know, to go, it's, okay, yeah, your, your, your wrist is broken. Uh, we're going to you know, here, you know, put a cast on it, come back in a few weeks. We'll take an x-ray. We can see the progress of the healing. And uh, mental health issues uh, don't work the same way. First of all, they're not visible, uh, <laughs> you know, as tangibly visible like an x-ray would, would provide. So, you know, we're left with looking at some of these things that seem like ancillary issues that might be relevant to a whole host of other um, issues, but you know, sleep problems or maybe irritability, somebody has lower energy, changes in eating, all of these things that are unique to the person, but we just can't necessarily measure it. Um, and we also use the same measuring stick for recovery. So, you know, the expectation is that if an, an, a broken wrist takes eight weeks, then well, okay, so how do we measure someone who might be struggling with depression. Well, you know, it's not the same thing. And it may be that it requires somebody um, to be dealing with something like this over a longer term. And we, we just don't do a good job of, of uh, appreciating the impact of that on athletes. 
And that's in some ways the, the issue with the stigma of mental health altogether, not just right. for athletes, but for everyone. Um, so let's talk about how an athlete's mental state can affect their physical performance. Uh, gymnasts like Simone Biles famously, for example, have spoken about uh, the twisties, which is a sort of disconnect between the mind and the body um, in, perform or in competition that has been shown to be a danger to gymnast performance. And other athletes have spoken about the ways that their mental health can impact their physical ability to play well. Uh, how can being in a bad headspace make an athlete more prone to physical injury? I think at a, at a very, very basic level, um, at minimum, it's a distraction. At the very minimum, you know, if your mind is filled with other things, then it can just be a, a distraction. So um, going from there, um, I think we uh, we have to consider that in many sports, especially at a very, very high levels, um, then these distractions can be magnified. And as the pressure to perform increase, it gets even worse. And now we also then need to consider that the, the sport. So you know, it can range from, you know, a poor performance, you know, for instance, or poor, poor score. So, so for instance, somebody who, who's a golfer, right? Uh, you know, it may not be, it's very unlikely that that uh, distraction, that mental health is going to be outright dangerous. It's just not the case with the sport. However, uh, gymnastics, maybe um, uh, downhill skiing, you know, something like that, where just the slightest kind of, uh, all, you know, alteration in your mental state could lead you to not be as focused. And that lack of focus can be quite catastrophic. Um, and again, I think that we, we get stuck because we're applying the same measuring stick to all sports. And it's not that any one is better, worse, harder than another, but the consequences of not being focused for some are quite different. And, you know, I've never been an elite athlete myself, so I can't even imagine what it takes to, you know, as a gymnast to understand your body in space and that proprioception and spinning and land, like that, that happens so quickly. And, you know, and I think we look at it from this kind of armchair standpoint um, where we think we can understand it and they should just be able to figure this out. And, and I think it really lacks any kind of real awareness of, of what's really going on. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, mental health issues are hard enough for people who have a desk job. You're working a nine to five and it's certainly not, uh, n the world isn't watching and there's no physical risk. Um, but, you know, mental health issues are hard enough to deal with on an everyday basis, much less when it's impacting your entire physical body. So, yeah. That's yeah. And, and, that's the, and that's where it gets even, you know, further complicated. And I think this is what we also see uh, beyond athletics. We see this in health as well, which is, uh, when people are are exposed to kind of like stressors, our body has a physical reaction. It's not a, I think in popular culture, in many ways, we've hijacked the term stress to 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 think about like these these things in our lives that cause the, that are stressors. When you look at it from a from a biology and a physiology standpoint, stress is really our body's reaction to stuff. So it's that fight or flight response, and when that's fired you know, routinely in response to things that aren't really threatening, like, you know, if you're, if you're worried about something or if you're afraid of something that, you know, it, it's kind of more of a thought or, or something in your head, the body responds in a very similar fashion and tries to go into this protection mode, which by default is not designed for health and wellness. It, it's just designed for the immediate moment. And so now you talk about athletes who have been training for, for years and years and years and years and years. And, uh, 
you know, the, the consequences to this, be at risk for health or, you know, people who have more um, up, realistically optimistic outlooks recover from injuries faster and more completely than those that don't. So the, the data and the, and the is there in many, many fields. It's hard again, back to that, you know, seeing is believing and that's what we're stuck with. And we don't necessarily think that it's as important uh, when, you know, absolutely objectively it is when we see that in the data. So let's talk a little bit about that fight or flight um, kind of decide when your body decides whether to fight or to take flight. Uh, a big part of sports is the idea of pushing through, of persevering, of achieving against all odds. It's kind of the perfectionism that you mentioned before. Um, but conversations around mental health reveal that that's not always what's healthiest for athletes' minds. Uh, when an athlete is struggling with mental health concerns, what can guide their decision to play through versus sitting it out or withdrawing from competition? Yeah, you know, I think to, to begin with, we really do need to consider um, that we have to, as we're seeing right now, to have more of these public conversations about mental health in general. Um, and then, you know, ex extending that to athletics and, you know, our culture has not necessarily caught up to that conversation. You know, athletes are being told that, you know, mental health is a priority and then, and then not being supported or it's not being prioritized in any way. So it kind of gives this uh, mixed message like, yeah, you need to take care of yourself. Well, nobody's really doing anything to support that in meaningful ways. So, uh, you know, we're still stuck against, you know, swimming upstream against this idea that mental health is not uh, perceived as a whole to be as important as physical health problems. Again, back to this idea because we can't see them. And interestingly enough, for the very same reasons, I'd say that uh, mental health concerns more than likely have a greater impact on performance than some of these other things that we can see because we know. And so oftentimes athletes struggle through mental health issues and push and push and push and push um, because they, they can't see it. No one's listening. Um, so I, I would, I would kind of say that uh, <laughs> we need to step away from more of this reactionary, you know, response and, talk about this more broadly and how do we start the process of having organizations, schools, coaches, et cetera, prioritizing these mental health needs along the way. Um, you know, I can do this work with people when they come into the office on an individual basis and it's, you know, it's one thing, but you know, we're not going to see anything meaningful change until it's prioritized across the board so that an athlete actually will come out and say, you know, I am struggling with this stuff. And until we get there, it's, it's going to be case by case individual. Those people that, might have some uh, previous experiences, might have a family member, might have somebody who says, oh yeah, no, it's fine. You really should go talk to somebody. But most people don't live in that world. So, yeah, I mean, I am thinking about in recent years, some athletes like basketball player Kevin Love and swimmer Michael Phelps, um, who've begun to normalize those conversations around mental health in sports. Can you talk about how athletes can work to overcome or address mental hurdles? You know, sort of where can they begin? What can they do to focus on their mental health while remaining competitive in their sport? Particularly now, you know, when we haven't quite normalized it yet, but, but people are trying, right? What can athletes on an individual level, uh, what can they do? Um, well, it really starts with exactly as you said, folks like um, Kevin Love and Michael Phelps. You know, I say it's certainly a risk to them because of their because uh, of their persona and because of their essentially their brands and things like that. Uh, sometimes it can be hard for young people to relate to that directly, just because 
uh, it feels like the risk is far greater when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and you're trying to deal with the stuff in in the high school setting than when you're already established making millions of dollars. And you know, it feels like it's a it's a bit of a uh, it's a difficult leap. However, you know those conversations starting where um, you know it's cross culturally at that point and cross you know sports are very influential. Um, it can at least get the conversation started. And once that conversation starts, and and I I'm very lucky and very spoiled here at Sports Health because I have some very uh, psychologically minded um, sports medicine physicians and athletic trainers who are in the in the trenches and notice this stuff and can really do a nice sales pitch in terms of this is a really good thing, which is why I believe so strongly about just starting those conversations and opening that door and then having uh, identifying a landing spot for some of these folks. And then, you know, you know at that point, um, it, it can become, it can grow into a bit of a word of mouth and people find out that, okay, this isn't, this isn't quite what I thought it was. This isn't so bad, uh, but it really does take some allies in the in the other fields who respect and appreciate the impact on mental health. And, and I often, when I when I see coaches or I do things with um, you know coaches clinics and things like that, uh, the bottom line is truly when a person an athlete is in a good is managing their mental health and they're doing well and take care of it, they perform better. So there's not, it's not a lot of gray area there. When, when someone's able to do this stuff, they actually perform better. So that's kind of at times the selling point. It's, it's just really, it is going to be a cultural shift in, in being a little bit more compassionate and understanding and allowing people the space to work on this stuff. So I'm guessing that, you know, the earlier, uh, athletes start understanding and valuing mental health, the, you know, the better it can be for them throughout their career. So I want to talk a little bit about athletes' younger years, right? From little league to college, sports are a really big part of growing up kind of in American society. They can teach us positive skills like teamwork and perseverance, you know, things that stay with us for life. But when kids get into sports at such a young age, how can the adults in their lives, uh, their coaches, their parents, help ensure that kids know about mental health and feel supported in their mental health kind of throughout the duration of their involvement in sports starting really early? Yeah, this is, um, this is a really good question. This is something that, uh, you know, I have three young kids myself, so I think about this quite, uh, quite frequently as I watch and uh, help in their endeavors through, through youth sports. But I think first and foremost, leading by example. Uh, Stop, get out of this um, mentality where it's the do as I say, not as I do. That, that doesn't work. Uh, young people watch what you do. They're checking everything that you say. That is far, far more important to live by that example and start to create that open dialogue. You know, we have all these examples. Um, it really, sometimes they're, they're quite inspiring, but at the same time, they can be quite, uh, quite damaging. You know, I think of how we all latched on years ago when, um, Brett Favre, the day after his dad died, and he's had almost 400 yards passing and had four touchdowns. He's on Monday Night Football. And we're all like, wow, how incredible. And, and it's like we somehow believe that our 10, 11, 12-year-olds, and whatever age you want, should be able to kind of do that same thing in this idea of when you step on this field or in this quarter in this pool, you should just leave it all behind you. And those are not messages that are uh, doing any favors. And so I think as adults and as you know, people working with youth, uh, starting to, to, to lead by example, um, you know, I think we, 
we need to take into consideration that what, just because it's something that's been done in the past, just because we did it that way, it's, you know, when I was young, you know, you just toughened up thicker skin, you suck it up, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and move on. That doesn't mean that that's the most appropriate or best approach. And I think that we're finding, um, in, in fact, you know, as, as times have changed, what most of us growing up never had to deal with, which is social media. And, and so you don't get a chance to take a break. You don't get a chance to go home and, you know, not be exposed to that stuff. And it, it's instant. And I think that, uh, you know, we need to, to learn, we need to change, we need to try to do a little bit better um, so that we're not repeating these things and then wondering why, you know, people are still struggling. Yeah. I mean, on the note of uh, that social media point, um, and, and kind of all of it, right? Society tends to have these really high expectations for not just for elite athletes, but for child athletes, right? For little kids out on the field. And we can be very hard on athletes who don't perform at the level that we expect from them. Um, at an elite level, I'm thinking of like tennis player Naomi Osaka, who recently declined to speak to the media after saying that press interviews started to make her doubt herself and sort of seed that doubt in her mind. Um, how can our expectations of athletes, whether they're you know, Olympians or children, how can our expectations societally impact athletes' mental health? Yeah, and this this really ties into just kind of what we were talking a little bit about before. I, I think that we get stuck in this um, results-driven, like success is about winning mentality. And uh, especially, you know, working your way up in young, you know, from younger age, um, you know, it's really focusing, and this isn't the, to be clear, people, this isn't the everybody gets a participation trophy kind of mentality, which people seem to kind of push back against. Um, it's not that winning isn't important. It, you know, it's really about focusing on, you know, effort and, and, and skill improvement over time. And then, of course, as, you know, developmentally, then you, you start to kind of create a, a, a bit of a, a skill set that revolves around that after somebody, you know, fails, I'd rather have somebody walk away from a from you know something that they haven't been successful at, with the ability to assess what they did that was effective, what areas they can improve on, and then you know that will then grow and further some of these skills, you know, so that you know, I, I look at like, as you said with, with Naomi Osaka, you know, um, when you can get stuck, um, you know, everything's so instant and reacting. Uh, some of it, the, the the train has already kind of left the station where we're, we're asking people to behave in a certain way that we deem to be appropriate based on whatever expectations we've placed. Yet, you know, there really isn't anything supporting the notion that they should be able to step away. Like we say, oh yeah, you know, you're, you know, you're autonomous, you can do your own thing. And then we hear pushback like, well, they're professionals and they're getting paid. And like somehow that should make them more immune to or not feel a certain way or not completely give up their right to, to say, well, listen, I don't want to do this. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really big problem. That's a big problem that extends beyond just what we saw with the media. Talk to us a little bit about how um, athletes' identity can be tied to their sports performance, right? Again, we've seen it in Simone Biles during these Olympics, sort of saying that she, the, the response that she's gotten, the support that she has gotten has made her feel like it's okay to to be not just a high-performing gymnast. Um, 
you know, how does that, that identity piece tie into athletes' internalized sense of pressure and how can that impact their mental health, right? Because I would imagine that if you're worrying about walking away from a sport or sitting out a, a big game, but your self-worth and your identity is tied to your performance in that sport and that game, that can really have an impact on you. Um, what can you tell us about that? You know, just you know, not, not to, to kind of um, repeat too much of what, what I said a minute ago, but it really does come down to a, from a very young age, um, helping people um, separate, uh, you know, this idea of improvement versus performance and that being the value of your worth, you know, you know, if you're able to, you know, getting out of these general like generalities, like people say things, well, I guess you, you didn't play very well. You know, in many ways, it comes back to the language and communication. You know, this isn't going to create softer, less responsible children. It's not going to be, you know, we, we hear all this stuff. Rather, this is where you give an opportunity for young people to develop more robust skills for coping as this stuff goes on. And when they're able to do that, when they're able to, you know, look with, uh, have some success, if you will, with coping with failure. You know, we often kind of put these in black and white categories and it's kind of like if you lose or something doesn't go well, we label these things as failures. And instead we miss an opportunity to look at um, both, like I said before, what are, what are, what were some things that worked well? What, what are some things in this so that your performance doesn't become cemented as your identity and vice versa? Uh, it will actually, uh, it, it will actually help them develop, like I said, more robust skills, better self-esteem, um, and greater uh, genuine confidence, not a false sense of confidence where it, it's not based on them having had some success in these areas. And, uh, you know, ultimately we also have to keep in mind that developmentally where people are, you know, you know, you think about the age ranges that we're talking about mostly. Uh, adolescence and, and very young adulthood, it's chaotic. It's, um, you know, our, our our brains aren't fully developed. You know, we're struggling through these things, yet we somehow, again, put this measuring stick like they should be making adult life decisions. And, you know, to expect them to be able to figure it out it is really an exercise in futility because not only do they not have the skill, but they don't have the hardware to do it. And then we get frustrated. So this is all kind of related, and I hope I'm not making you repeat yourself, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the pressure that kids feel from coaches and parents, and also the fact that a lot of kids start playing sports when they're really little. They just start playing for fun, you know, and then as you get older, it starts to get to this place where it's like, well, if you're not going to continue doing this, if you're not the best at it, if you're not going to be competitive at it, then maybe it's time to leave the sport, right? I think about myself growing up, I was a dancer, and then at some point I was like, I'm not really a good enough dancer to keep dancing at a certain level, mm -hmm. right? And so how can parents, you know, when do we let kids uh, leave the sport or pull back from it versus, you know, having them push through and, and go elite or go, you know, more competitive when a kid is like, you know, I started this for fun. It's not that fun anymore. What do parents need to be on the lookout for in terms of that and like letting it happen? What tips do you have for parents? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you have to check your own pride at the door. I mean, that, I mean you, you have to. If you're going to truly listen, um, not just hear what they're saying, but listen to what they're saying. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm saying that kids are, you know, whatever they say goes, that, that's not it. Um, but you do have to be 
I mean, obviously there are a lot of other factors that come into play here, but first of all, you know, be open and listen, because if, uh, if you want to have an honest conversation with maybe with your child or young person about what's going on and why they feel this way, um, they need to be feeling like it's going to be a conversation and not an exercise where you're just going to try to convince them. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's, and this has been my experience, and, and I know I have the, um, I guess, the privilege of sitting on the side of the desk that I sit on with all these young people that come in, and I hear that there's always more going on that, you know, that, that is contributing to these decisions. Um, but at a point, you know, kids are aware, you know, and, and parents too, when maybe their skill isn't uh, up to the place where it's going to take them to these higher levels and higher levels. Uh, you know, there's the, the data in terms of who makes it to these elite levels from, from high school to college. It, it's staggering, yet some of it is just kind of realizing that, you know, not everybody's going to do that and that there are other options like, you know, if they're, they want to have fun, they want to play, find leagues that allow for that. And there's still competitiveness for sure. But uh, you you got to be mindful that, uh, you know, you could potentially be doing more harm than good when, you know, your your belief is that they, you should be forcing them to, to you know, I'm not saying like, you know, there aren't, ex, there aren't exceptions to this, but um, it could be doing more damage than good if you're just forcing them and there's really stuff going on that is not, that is not healthy. And I think that um, I, I would, I would argue, um, I think that when we don't listen and we're not paying attention to what's going on, um, you know, I think you can see firsthand how it is that we're in the situation that we're in right now and the things that we've seen where you've gotten, and this takes it to a, a much more, um, a pretty serious note, but I mean, how is it that um, medical professionals, trusted medical professionals, coaches um, have been able to uh, abuse people, assault people for years, for years, in spite of the fact that young people did say stuff at the time in the way, well, this doesn't feel right or this doesn't seem right. And when we get stuck in this, well, you know, you, we don't listen to, to what that what's going on, then that's the kind of stuff that can happen because we are stuck in this mentality. Well, no, you have to, you have to push through. You have to do this. And, you know, we are seeing this and we're seeing this in young people, very, in people who have become professional athletes, whose voices we would assume are, are strong and loud. And, you know, Simone Biles, all these gymnasts who we look at as very, very strong women. And it's like, it doesn't, matter if we're not listening to young people doesn't mean believe everything that they say every time but it's using some um, discretion here and figuring out how do we give them a voice that people that, that, that they feel heard so that we're not continuing these cycles because the risk in my in my opinion the risk of not is far greater than the risk of here in listening to them and, and then as an adult having to go have a conversation with another adult to figure out what's going on yeah, and really not letting the pressure that we put on athletes breed this secret keeping and sort of shame uh, that then, yeah, that we're, the rest of us, nobody's paying attention to for a very long time until it kind of comes out in these very traumatic, devastating kind of ways. Um, which leads me into the next question, uh, which is a question for kind of all of us who enjoy watching sports, whether it's, you know, we're loving the Olympics or our kids' uh, high school football games. Um, as fans, 
how can we best support athletes' mental health? What kind of changes do we need to, and this is sort of on an individual level, right? What kind of changes can we make to our own understanding of athletes and competition in order to contribute to lessening the overall stigma around mental health in sports? Yeah, it's a real, uh, it can be a bit of a tricky balance in many ways because we do hold sports at such, to such a prestige. And with that, the, the athletes and all of the, uh, it seems like all of the, the stuff that goes with that, that we, we all kind of look, uh, look at is this is, this is great. Um, you know, similar, similar to what I said before, some of it comes back with, to starting with the language that you use uh, in, in your homes about mental health. You know, that's one of, um, one of the things that I'm myself and try to be very passionate about, which is, you know, our language is meaningful, words have power. And so, you know, being able to describe people in terms of you know, the things that they're dealing with versus labeling somebody as if someone is experiencing, like maybe, you know, with, um, with Naomi Osaka, for instance, you know, maybe she was dealing with symptoms of anxiety and depression and instead of labeling her as anxious and depressed and to start to, to, to separate some of that out. Um, and it's television, it's entertainment, you know, as adults, uh, placing a little less emphasis on these uh, in these outcomes, especially when we're, I mean, to be honest, especially when we're in a house with young people. I mean, if you're, you know, knowing your audience, if you're watching, you know, the language is still important, but when you have eyes on you, when you have people watching, when you have people paying attention, then it's even more important to be mindful of that. Um, you know, it's, you know, we often look at, again, back to that same measuring stick, right? We look at LeBron James, we look at Tom Brady, we look at these people who are uber famous and top of their game. And, uh, you know, we, we look at the, all the power and the authority and influence they have, and we put them on the same plane, for instance, as Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka, when clearly, uh, while they're elite athletes, clearly they don't have the same platforms. Clearly they're not granted the same, you know, the exceptions. And, you know, it just fails to appreciate that there are these differences, there are comparisons that are made and that we're all human. Uh, to, to be quite honest, and everybody's different. Can you say a word about uh, fans' participation uh, in social media and just kind of checking ourselves and mm. and thinking about the athletes who are humans on the other mm. side of the computer? Uh, anything that you can can say there? Oh, geez, I, I don't. Yeah, lots to say. I know this this doesn't uh, this this isn't unique to to sports. I mean, you see this in news and politics, and like people just behind this, this uh, keyboard will type and say all sorts of things that they would never do in person. So um, it's really hard. And I think at least at this point, the easiest thing would be like, you know, checking yourself in terms of what's the point. You know, I, I say to my, to my own kids all the time, you know, um, don't be the reason why somebody else has a bad day. You know, try to think about that when you're doing stuff. And I think that, uh, the anonymity that the that social media can allow for, um, and of course, under the, the free speech, the, all, all those kinds of things that people use to kind of, um, and, and rightfully so, to, to justify what they're doing, it, it just is messy. So I think more, first and foremost, I mean, yeah, I, you know, check yourself, what's the need in doing this? But then on the other, and in my experience, you know, professionally, a large part of what I'm doing then is trying to help the people who are receiving those messages on the other end and say, listen, how, you know, shutting things off, how do you, process that you know how do you, you know, this isn't somebody that you know all that kind of stuff it, it, it the impact is 
pretty profound at times from people. And again, it's not when people say, well, you know, that's what they get when they put themselves out there. And it, it, it makes no sense because no one in their right mind would want to have those things said to them. And so it's so complicated in, in our geopolitical climate that we're in. Um, it's, it's just inflammatory. So at a certain point, I tell people, you know, just turn it off, period. Now, my brand isn't based on my ability to get tweets or things like that. So I recognize that there's a business piece for many people, but most of us, it's not. I, I like that advice, though. Don't be the reason that someone else has a bad day. That seems like a good kind of guideline for life, generally, for, for how we treat people. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Seco, is there anything that we haven't discussed today that's relevant to the topic of athletes and mental health? You know, anything that you think listeners should hear, whether they're sports fans or athletes themselves, um, or the parents or the coaches of young athletes, you know, anything that we haven't touched on that you think is particularly important? I, you know, I think overall, you know, it would be remiss to, to ignore just the, uh, the importance and the influence and the impact of coaches and, you know, the, the team environment, the coaches, administrators, all the people who are associated, actually the amount of influence that they have on young people. Um, and at the same time, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and support as a coach when you're out of your depth. You know, you may be great at coaching these skills, which is awesome. Um, you know, just because, you know, you see this coaches who, um, who played the sport and they're really good at it, you know, but just because someone has experience playing doesn't mean that they have the skills necessary to be, a, uh, I mean, they might be able to coach the skills, but understanding that relationship with the players or developmentally, you know, there's a difference between coaching eight, nine and 10 year olds and 17, 18 and 19 year olds. So don't be afraid. Um, you know, often people often think, you know, that, you know, that there's a pride issue or they should somehow just know, know to do this or asking for help is some of a weakness. But uh, coaches improving their communication, improving their ability to understand and work with young people is part of that equation. Being open to the idea that there are aspects related to young people and teaching and um, whatever it might be that you may not be as skilled in, just like you would tell your athlete, you need to work on this. Um, you know, seek out those opportunities, you know, take opportunity to improve your own skills and, you know, <laughs> be, lead by example, you know, demonstrate good sportsmanship, win or lose, people are watching, you know, maybe be a little bit uh, more compassion, have a little bit more humility. And um, I think you'll find that your players will respond and young people will be much more open to ask for help themselves when they need it. And ultimately, I think that it will lead to, you know, greater success on the field. Dr. Sacco, thank you so much for being here with us today. If you would like to schedule an appointment with Cleveland Clinic Center for Behavioral Health, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash behavioral health or call 216-636-5860. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Health Essentials, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest health tips, news, and information.